Well, sin in the church is always a problem, isn't it? You know, the, God wants the church to be clean and pure. And early church, that was one of the things that we see that gave the church so much power in the book of Acts was that they sought to, to have clean lives and live pure heart with pure hearts and pure lives. When sin did enter the church, it had to be dealt with pretty swiftly. And the Bible tells us a lot about... Uh, different kinds of sin that needs to be dealt with in some disciplinary way in the church. For instance, in Matthew 18, we read about if there's personal offense between two Christians. And the Bible says if that happens, if your brother sins against you, you go to him in private, you try to work it out. If you can't work it out, you take somebody with you. And if you still can't work it out, then you may have to bring it before the church get it worked out and then there's a, another kind of sin it's if there's false doctrine if somebody in the church is teaching wrong doctrine and uh, Paul's writings to Timothy and the book of Galatians and the gospel I mean the uh, second John all deal with with how you deal with somebody in the church if they're teaching wrong doctrine if they're teaching something that's wrong about Jesus or wrong about salvation and then the third kind is if a brother is caught in sin. Galatians chapter 6 says sometimes that they're in the Christian fellowship there might be a brother or sister who is overtaken in some sin. They are actually uh, it, it, it becomes evident that they are committing a, a blatant sin and the Bible says there that those of you who are spiritual you seek to restore this brother and uh, you don't throw them out, you don't uh, judge them, you don't condemn them, you don't uh, uh, despise them, but you rather seek to restore them in a spirit of meekness and humility. And then there's another kind of sin in Titus chapter 3 verse 10. It talks about the continual troublemaker, the person in the church who's always trying to pit one group against another group, who's trying to sow discord among the brethren. That's a terrible thing. The Bible says one of the things God hates is those who would sow discord among brethren. And so uh, Paul tells Titus that when there is a person, it's called a heretic in, uh, in the King James Version, but uh, it, the word doesn't have anything to do with doctrine. It has to do with a, a sower of discord. It's a person who's trying to force people to choose sides. And so Paul tells us to deal with that. And then, of course, if there's open immorality, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us how to deal with that. So those are the kinds of sins that we usually think of as sins in the church. But today, I want to talk to you about a sin that Paul says that we need to deal with in the church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. And it is the sin of laziness. And busybodiness, laziness and gossip. The church in Thessalonica believed that Jesus was coming back very, very soon, just in the next few months, maybe, or next few years. And so some of the people in the church had quit their jobs. They had just given up on working. And they just began to go around house to house, family to family, and they just began to kind of sponge off their neighbors. And they thought, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. We might as well just kind of help you eat up all your groceries, you know. And so, uh, and then they began to go uh, uh, 
from place to place, kind of snooping around in uh, other people's business. And so Paul has to write in his letter, 2 Thessalonians, something about that. So this is Labor Day weekend. I'm going to preach a Labor Day sermon today, uh, a sermon about how important it is to work and to work hard. And I especially want our young people to listen today. So you girls and guys here on the front uh, few rows, I want you to pay close attention because hard work is a gift from God. It's something God wants us to do. As a matter of fact, uh, God gave Adam a job before he ever gave him anything else. As soon as God created Adam, he said, I want you to work in the garden and take care of it. And so hard work uh, is, is a, a blessing. You know, in America, we have tried to get shorter work weeks, shorter work days, younger retirement age, and greater retirement benefits than just about any country in the world. In... Uh, in our day, Brother Joe, Brother Durham, me, and some of us others, we went to work before the sun came up sometimes, and we worked until it went down. We worked six days a week, which, by the way, that's the biblical way. God said, six days shall you labor, and one day you rest. Well, and then... How much of that day? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus told the parable about a man coming to hire workers, and he hired the first ones, and they were going to work 12 hours. Came back later, hired some more, and they worked nine hours. Some more, they worked uh, uh, six hours, and then some more just worked uh, about an hour. And uh, But the idea is that a day's work was a full day's work. Now, I know already I'm losing some of you. Some of you already saying, I wish I hadn't even come this morning. <clears throat> but I want to tell you, in the Bible, there's supposed to be work. As Christians, we should work and work hard. And then there should be a time of rest. And then there should be a time of play, a time for fun. But that is the minimal not the maximum. In America, <laughs> we want to play most of the time and rest a lot of the time and then work when we have to, and some people do their work with a resentment. I can't wait. TGIF. Can't wait for Friday. Oh, my, it's Monday morning again. Got to go back to work. Wouldn't it be something that if we had the biblical view of work where we said, my work is a gift from God. My ability to work is a gift from God. There are people who can't work. And in this pandemic time, we've had a lot of people who have lost their jobs. So if you have a job, even more, you ought to be saying, God, thank you so much that I have work to do. And then as Christians, we ought to be the ones who work the hardest. And every boss 
who has Christian workers working under them ought to say, and I wish I had a dozen like them. They don't goof off. They don't slough off. They work hard, and they give me a full day's work for a full day's pay. We don't really hear preaching on this very much, do we? But it is the truth. And Paul says to these Christians in Thessalonica, verse 6 of chapter 3, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any but brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition or the teachings that you receive from us. Paul said, when I was with you, remember I told you how important it is to work hard, to enjoy your job, to do your job well, and to do it for the glory of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, do it with all your might and do it for the glory of God. That's the way we ought to work as Christians. Our work ethic ought to put to shame the work ethic of the world. And then verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because when we were not idle, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So he starts this section off with a command. He said, I'm commanding you to work hard. And then he gives an example. He said, when we were with you, you remember, we didn't, we didn't eat anybody's bread that we didn't pay for. And we worked hard night and day. And I'm telling you, as Christians, it's true for pastors too, we ought to work hard. Our job ought to be important to us. Our task, we ought to do it not only with diligence, we ought to do it with joy and be thankful for the task that we have. So he says that was the example. And then here's the principle, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. He says, uh, you know, the Bible says that, that man would earn his bread, would eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. Now, by the way, work was not part of the curse. Toil and sweat was part of the curse. So when I work, and I sweat, I think, man, if Adam hadn't sinned, I wouldn't be sweating like this. If Adam hadn't sinned, this work wouldn't be so hard. And when I was picking cotton as a high school boy, every time I'd reach in and grab a bowl of cotton and it'd stick that old burr in my thumb, or I'd grab a stinging worm or a saw briar grip through my fingers. If I'd have had enough sense back then, I'd have said, Adam, I can't wait to get to heaven and punch you in the nose. <laughs> because 
this labor wouldn't have been toil if it hadn't been for sin. But every bit of labor reminds us of two things. It reminds us of the consequences of sin, and it also reminds us of the promise that in heaven and in the new earth, work will still work, but it won't be toil. It will be joy and delight. All right? Somebody had some questions about that maybe, but we don't have time to answer them right now. But, uh, all right, so there's the principle, and here's the solution. Uh, here's, here's the central part of this passage, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. He said, here's the word we're getting. We're getting the word that there are some among you that are not working. And, and they're actually uh, meddling in other people's business. And they are, they've got all this idle time on their hands. And I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, I'll tell you this, idle hands contribute to that as well. If we've got something that we're busy at, we don't have time to be busy about other people's busyness, right? Okay, that's a good place for an amen, you know? Amen, okay. So, he says, we hear that there are some among you that are idle and are busybodies. And then verse 12, he said, here's the solution. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, I tell you, when people can't earn a living because of disability or because of uh, uh, inability, then it's right for Christians to care for them. He says those who are not willing to work, but there are some who are willing to work that are unable to work, they should be cared for. But those who are able to work and are just lazy, he says, don't, don't enable them by giving them what they hadn't earned when they have the ability to earn it. And I want to tell you, now he's talking to Christians, and back in those days there was no welfare department, there was no government assistance or anything like that. If people got help, they got it from their family or from their church. And he's saying for the church, and he tells us this in other places as well, that the church ought never, ever, ever to let anybody suffer lack if they are unable to provide for themselves. And that's important for us to know, that we are to have within the Christian community a system by which if a a widow or a disabled person, or a, a, a person is sick, and they can't work, we ought to be the first to rally to them and say, we'll see to it that you don't lack anything. And that's the way it should be. But, in our society today, I'm not want to get political or anything like that, but it's going to sound political. In a society where 
young people have been trained to play and not to work. Where they've been trained to rebel rather than work. What you would have in a culture like that would be a bunch of able-bodied workers who are out burning down buildings and breaking windows and tearing up the nation that has given them the freedom to live there. And I have zero tolerance and patience with all these rioters and looters who are able-bodied workers. And they say, well, we can't get a job. Listen, I tell you, there are plenty of jobs available. There are more jobs than there are people who want to work. And I have never, in my whole life, I have never been without a job when I couldn't get a job. And when I first went to seminary, I came from Tennessee to Texas, didn't have a job, didn't have anything, didn't have any dollars, didn't have any cents. Uh, and, uh, and both ways spell that sense. And I came out here, and people said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to get a job. And the first place I went to, they hired me right on the spot. I started to work at 11 o'clock that night. And I had people in seminary say, well, we just can't find work. I said, well, you just come with me. I'll, I'll help you find work. And I, 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 don't, I don't believe... I mean, you, you may not be able to get a, a job making $20 an hour. I think I made $1.15 an hour when I got that job at the, at the seminary. Of course, back then, it cost a lot less to live, too. But, uh, but I, I, don't have any, I don't have any sympathy for people who are lazy and refuse to work. Now, if they're not able to work, I want to help them. If they've lost their job, I want to help them find a job. But I don't want them to sit around as idle freeloaders and busybodies. Does that make me sound callous, hard-hearted? To me, the greatest thing you could do for somebody is help them get a job. Not just give them something, but help them get a job. Okay. Uh, so, I don't think I intended to say all that this morning, but I've already said it, so there it is. So, command, then verse 12, he says, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. And then he says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. In other words, you don't, uh, you don't kick him out, but you say to him, you need to work. You, we're not going to let you just sit around and do nothing. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Isn't that a great passage for today? For Labor Day. I didn't actually plan it. 
It just kind of fell this way going through this uh, uh, study in, in First and Second Thessalonians. But it's a great word. So let me just say a word now to, uh, to all of you about, about work. Uh, girls, you're going to start dating boys sometime the next 25 or 30 years. And, uh, uh, and when you start looking for a, for a husband, when you start dating a guy, and by the way, when, when you date a guy, when a guy asks you out, <clears throat> just remember... If he's asking you out, if you date him, it's a possibility that you might marry him. Because almost everybody marries somebody they date, right? Okay. So, so girls, whenever, whenever some guy asks you out, a couple things. Number one, you ask your dad. Dad, what do you think of him? Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, my dad wouldn't like anybody. Well, he may have good reasons. You know, he may have good reason not to like some of the guys. But so, so ask your mom and dad, well, what do you think of this guy? And then you want to find out two or three things about him. Number one, you want to find out, does he love Jesus? Is he a Christian? Does he go to church? Is he a worshiper? Now, a lot of girls say, well, I'm not interested in that. Well, you better be interested in that. Because you marry a guy who doesn't love Jesus, you'll find out, that what he really loves is himself. And after a while, you'll be wishing you'd married a guy that loved Jesus. So find out, does he love Jesus? Second thing, is he, how does he treat his parents, especially his mother? How does he treat his mother? And if he has sisters, how does he treat his sister? That's an important question to ask. If he's... Uh, rebellious to his mother, if he's uh, hateful to his mother, he has a problem with females. And he will probably eventually end up mistreating you. Girls, you listening? All you girls listening? Little girls listening too? Because you're going to be big girls someday, okay? All right. So you're going to ask, does he love Jesus? How does he treat his mother and his sister? And how does he respond to authority? And number three, does he work hard? Does he work hard? Is he, is he responsible? I even ask, when, if, I were, if I were a girl, I'd be a funny-looking one, wouldn't I? But if I were a girl and uh, some guy asked me, I'd, I'd want to know, what kind of grades does he make? Does he study? Does he turn in his homework? Does he do his work? Does he, is he a good student? And one girl said to me, well, I'm not marrying him for his brain. I said, well, it wouldn't hurt if he had one, though, would it? I guarantee you, you might want to eventually, you might want him to have one. I guarantee you, that barrel chest he has is someday going to, drop down to about right here and it's going to become a beer belly maybe or a barrel belly or something like that so you, you, you don't want to you, you don't want to uh, date him primarily for his uh, for his body because the day will come when he may have a supreme court body that is one with no appeal uh <laughs> Uh, so if that's what you're dating him for, 
you might be in for disappointment sooner than later. But I tell you what, if he's a hard worker, if he's responsible, if he loves Jesus, if he does his homework, if he respects his teachers, especially his female teachers, and if he respects his mother and he treats his sister with honor, and you've probably got a prize there. You've probably got a prize there. And I know some of the girls say, yeah, but, but what if I can't find a guy like that? I don't want to be single. I guarantee you, I know lots of girls, lots of women who married a guy not like that who wishes they were single. They wish they were single. So I'm just trying to help you ladies, you young girls. You girls, y'all look at me just a second, all you girls looking at me. Are, do you appreciate what I'm telling you today? Okay. You're going to say you do anyway. I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying you appreciate it. Uh, but I, I'm telling you, it's the truth. What I'm telling you is it's really helpful. You know, some people say, well, I didn't come to church to get any help. I came to church because it was Sunday. Well, I'm wanting, you to, I'm wanting you to get some help today. I do enough marriage counseling to keep a heart that's broken a lot of the time. And I, I meet so many girls, so many women who are in relationships, marriage relationships, in which they are not affirmed, in which they are not respected, in which they are not protected, and in which they are not provided for. And they, are, they don't know what to do. And here's what you do. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. They're already, they've jumped out of the plane. But here's what you can do. You can say, I'm not ever going to date a guy that doesn't love Jesus, that doesn't respect his mother and treat her well, and doesn't work hard. And I realize that narrows the, the field a little bit. But I'd rather you wait an extra three or four years and find a man that is going to love you and treat you right than to take the first one just because he looks good and talks cool, you know. Okay. Now, I know guys... I hadn't told you how to find the right wife. So let me just tell you this. You be the right guy. That's what you be. You be the right guy. You be the guy that loves Jesus. You be the guy that respects and honors women, and especially your, your mother. And you be the guy that works hard and doesn't, waste a lot of time playing and I, I'll tell you guys let me just say to you guys here uh, there's more distractions today than there ever has been there's more stuff to suck away our work time and get us focused on uh, video games and 
uh, internet games and other kind of stuff. And if you spend 20 hours a week playing and 20 seconds a week praying, you spend 20 hours a week playing and resent having to work 15 hours a week, you need to make some changes. You're the one that Paul is talking to here. And the Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. Let me see if we can find that exactly, get it right. Let him that stole steal no more. Here's the purpose of good work. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And uh, that's uh, Ephesians 4, 28. If you want to put that on the screen, that'd be good for everybody to see. Now, and by the way, if you're wasting time and if you're not given a full day's work for a full day's pay, you're a thief. You're robbing your employer. So let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Let him labor. Let him work. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those who can't work, with anyone who is in need. The end goal is we want to help one another. But the way we do that is we work hard, laboring with our own hands. So why should we work hard? Well, there are lots of reasons. One, that's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you had somebody working for you, would you want them to work hard? Sure you would. So if you're working for somebody, work hard. You do to them what you'd want done to you. Then it's just because it's the right thing. It's the right thing. I used to do a parenting uh, seminar, and in that parenting seminar, I would say especially raising teenagers, we want to teach our teenagers three things. We want to teach them honesty. We want to teach them industry, and we want to teach them modesty, those three things. Teach them to always tell the truth. Teach them to work hard and teach them to dress and behave in such a way that they wouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed for Jesus to walk right up and see them at any moment. Teach them honesty, industry, hard work, and modesty. And then hard work helps develop us into a person who has the right perspective on life. It brings a benefit to society. It helps make the most of your hours. Find ways to enjoy your job. I've had some jobs that I could have not enjoyed. I've worked in uh, warehouses, pulling orders. I've worked in cotton mills, rolling up balls of, of rope and twine. I've worked in highway construction, flagging traffic, and even one time for a few days running a jackhammer, or it was running me mainly, and my boss finally saw that I had worn my hands out and I was trying to hold it with my wrists, and he finally he said, here, I'm going to give you a flag, and 
I'm going to give that uh, jackhammer to somebody that maybe knows how to use it. So, but, I, but I've worked in those kinds of jobs. I've worked in a silk screen factory. I, I've worked in lots of different jobs. And every job that you ever have, there would be some things about it that you could say, I don't like this job. But there's always some things about it that you could say, this is an opportunity for me not only to make a living, it's an opportunity for me to learn some skills. It's an opportunity for me to demonstrate the, my, my interest and concern for my boss, and it's an opportunity for me to glorify God. And I have found a way in every job I've ever had to do those things. And to enjoy my job. To say, I, I'm doing this for the glory of God. Well, there's a bunch more stuff I want to say about this today. But I'm going to quit. Uh, it's probably about all y'all want to take in this morning anyway. But, uh, but girls, you get the message today? Okay. You're going to, Hannah, you got it too, didn't you? Okay. You're going to look for a guy. You're going to wait for a guy that loves Jesus, treats his mom well, and works hard. Boy, that'll, that'll save you lots of time. It'll save me lots of time. I won't, have to, I won't have to have you come in after you've been married three years for marriage counseling. It's going to save me a lot of time. But it'll save you a lot of time, a lot of grief. And then guys... You're going to be that guy, right? I, this past week, Jackson had a birthday. And he, uh, he said, you know what I want for my birthday? I want a weed eater. I want a new weed eater. Girls, you ought to make a note of that. In about, in about 10 years, you want to look Jackson up and say, here's a guy that for his birthday, he didn't want an Xbox. He wanted a weed eater. I saw that. I said, hallelujah. There is hope for the next generation. And, uh, and I tell you, you know what men need more than anything else? They need respect. That's what men need more than anything else is respect. And you know what women need more than anything else is affection and, and to be treasured, to feel treasured. And uh, so many men do not have respect from their family mainly because they're lazy. They won't work. Now, there are other reasons that a wife may not respect, show respect her husband, but for a lot of them it's because they won't work. I, I just appreciate Paulino. I tell you, his girls and his wife, they say to me, man, he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. And he's, he and I have done some work together. He's worked and I've watched. But, uh, but uh, I, just, I just appreciate and respect men who see their job as something to be done well. So... Happy Labor Day to all you 
guys. I know you can't wait for Tuesday to get here so you can get back to work and say, man, why do I have to be off tomorrow? Because after hearing this sermon, I want to go back to work and really knock it out of the park. Well, wait one more day, and then Tuesday you go back and knock it out of the park, and you do it for the your own personal self-respect. You do it for the boss you work for, but mainly you do it for the God who gave you the ability to work and the opportunity to work. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our jobs. And Father, I know there, there are people, a lot of people right now who are, are having to do work that they wouldn't have chosen to do. And yet, in your providence and in your sovereignty, you've enabled them to have a job that wouldn't be their favorite job. But I pray that you'll help all of us to look at every task that we have as a task that you've given us. And help us not to work only for our money or only for our boss, but help us to work for our Savior. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me just say in closing, I know you thought, I thought you'd already closed. Well, I'm going to close again. Let me just say this. There is one kind of work. There is something we never work for. We don't work for salvation. There's a little poem that I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers say years ago. said, uh, I work, I cannot work my soul to save. That work my Lord has done. But I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. We do not work for salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift. Jesus purchased it, and he gives it to us freely. But, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. It's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the way it works. We, we receive it as a gift. God puts it in our heart, and then he expresses it. We express it by working Good works, obedient works, faithful works. So, by grace, through faith, unto good works. Three prepositions that make the difference. By grace, through faith, unto good works. If you need to come this morning and put your trust in Jesus... If you need to repent of being a goof-off at work, <laughs> I won't ask you to come up forward and do that, but you can do it right there where you sit. If you need to come and say, Pastor, I'm so thankful for my job, or if you need to just do that right where you are, and purpose in your heart to work for him. And you girls, 
could you just say today, I don't particularly like what that preacher said. I know you can say that, but can you say, but he cares about me. He really cares about my future, my marriage someday. And I'm going to wait for God to bring a man into my life that loves Jesus, honors and respects his mom, and works hard. So I'll have a good marriage. And guys, you're saying, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.